everyone out there in YouTube joining us, and uh, whether you are here for the first time, or for a live, or delay. We're going to continue the class on prayer. Let me get a drink. Um, I, am, I am grateful that you've continued to join us for this class. I don't know about you, but I'm learning some things about prayer, and uh, it is a blessing to just pause and listen to the teaching of Jesus as if Jesus is teaching a course on prayer, uh, because it's, it's certainly my temptation to go into Scripture and just thumb through it and find you know, a few quick points, a few principles, break it down, melt it down, give me five things I need to know about prayer, and I'll be on my way. But when you stop and you listen, you realize that you, you are, you're taking in, you're studying with the Son of God who's teaching us not simply the science of prayer, but the art of it. And that it is a growing relationship that forms in prayer. So these first five weeks, um, at least four of them, the intent has been to introduce us to the God that hears our prayers. If we're going to pray, then we are praying to someone. That someone that we are praying to has been described as our Heavenly Father. Uh, he's been described, as you'll see today, as a just and righteous judge. And he is the king of the kingdom. So if you would uh, allow me, would you join me in prayer as we uh, listen to more teaching today? Our Heavenly Father, we give glory to your name. We ask that your kingdom might come soon, that we will seek justice in this world, not a justice that we can obtain or develop, but that that comes about by your Spirit. So we cry out and we ask for righteousness, we ask for justice, we ask that your will would reign supreme over earth in every way, just as it does now in heaven. We pray that we will practice the justice and the righteousness of the kingdom before others. So that others may see that we love them because you love us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us what we need to carry on in this world. We pray that you would supply our needs and that we will show the kind of faith and trust that we believe in that. And Father, we ask that you would be with us in our weakness. Because it's our weakness that leads us to temptation. It's the temptation to trust in our own way, to trust in our own kingdoms, to trust in our own ability to secure things. And that's often what leads us astray. We mean well, but we go wrong. But Father, we are thankful for your grace and mercy, for the opportunity to repent. Teach us in prayer who you are, and in that we learn who we might be. 
We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. So, what I want to show you this morning is visiting this idea of going from the lesser to the greater. Uh, we, we talked about, we, we, we looked at this somewhat last week when we looked at one of the parables that Jesus tells. In fact, it's the parables, two of the parables that bracket his teaching in Luke on the Lord's Prayer. So that in, in Luke um, 11, when his disciples say, you know, they say, John taught his disciples to pray, will you teach us to pray? And he does. And along with that instruction on the content of the prayer, he reinforces it with two parables about the way we might pray. One of those, uh, let's, let's, let's review this, this teaching. Teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now in verse 8, I would want to amend shameless persistence to your friend will give you whatever you need because of a reputation of shame. We'll come back to that in a moment. Here's the second parable. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so you have in these two parables what we call the calvacomer, the from the lesser to the greater. And notice that God is greater than the angry neighbor or the unkind neighbor who... And, and notice that Jesus said, suppose he calls out to you. That's the strange part of the story. I, I believe that that would have been rare in the world of Jesus and his disciples. Just as it would be rare for us to say, hey, there, there's been a problem in our community. We need to do something. Most people are likely to pitch in and help, even with strangers. And so it is when you have a friend and then you have somebody that needs to be shown hospitality, that friend's going to say, well, I may, you know, even if they don't have everything, it's like I may not have three loaves, but I have two and you're welcome to them. So Jesus sets up this unusual situation where this so-called friend is not very friendly and says, leave me alone. But Jesus says, he will help you, if not for the sake of friendship, for the sake that he doesn't want to be branded as the inhospitable member of that community. He'll do it 
just because he can't stand the dishonor that would come with refusal. Now, if that's true with a poor neighbor, how much more true is it with God that he's going to give you what you ask for and for all the right reasons? And for those who seek the Holy Spirit, he's eager to give that. So it's telling us something about God. It's telling us something about what we can expect in prayer. Obviously, this doesn't say that if you ask God over and over and over again, He's going to give you whatever you ask for. Not at all. He's saying that God is eager to give good gifts to His children. But if the children ask for bad gifts, well, that's different. Okay, so then on the other side, God is compared to the bad parent. If you... Are, being, are sinful parents. You're, you're, not, you're not even that great. On a, on a you know, five-star scale, you get a rating of one star. But even those parents know better than to give their kid a rock when he asks for bread, to give their kid a snake when he asks for fish. Now, what if your kid asks for a snake? Well, even a bad parent might know, I don't think that's a great idea. We don't want that. Not even a scorpion. If bad parents can get it right, then how much more, Jesus says, is God going to get it right even when we don't even know what we're asking for? He can get it right. Now, these are comparisons. These are parable comparisons. They are not meant to tell us the intricate details of how how to word a prayer so that God gives us what we want. That's that old idea of magic or spell casting or technique. These comparisons are meant to say to us, here's what you can expect of the one who hears your prayers. In other words, if you can expect fallen, failed human beings to get it right, even for the wrong reasons, then how much more can you expect God to respond to you when you are praying as Jesus has taught you? Okay, I hope that makes sense. That's, that's a, a quick review. In chapter 18 of Luke, we get yet another parable that works along with this. With this. By the way, I think that this parable influences Luke 11, where it gets interpreted quite often as your neighbor will respond to you because of your shameless persistence. Remember, the word persistence is not in there. It says that he will give you what you ask for because of uh, shamefulness or because of the, the importunity, the impudence. In other words, that's that disgrace that would reflect on him. Here, the idea of persistence is operative, and yet the comparison breaks. It both connects us to understand what it's like when we pray with God, and it separates us from what we expect in this world versus what we expect with God. Let me say that again. These parables both connect and compare, and they contrast and make distinct a different reality. So Jesus is saying, when you pray to God, it's like this on earth. 
but it's also not like that at all. He, he, so w- understanding the distinctions, the comparisons and the contrast is helpful to us. And these parables invite us to step into that world and ponder these things. Okay, Here's Luke 18. Uh, Jesus is telling them about, uh, or he's telling them a parable. And here the parable, thank you Luke, he's giving us the explanation of it and the intent of it right at the start. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. All right, so I want to just pause right there. Think about this. Most of us go into a, a time of prayer. We, we often say, I want to pray more often. I mean, you, you, know, you know if this is your experience or not. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands or anything. For me, it's about the consistency. It's about turning it into a discipline. <clears throat> and I know I need it. And I know God doesn't have to, to listen to me every day. I know he would like to, but I also know that if I pray every day, he's not more likely to listen to me because I do pray every day than if I was to just pray once a week. But it's that need to continue in prayer and stay consistent with it. And here, Jesus is saying, here's a parable to teach you to always pray and don't be discouraged. Maybe at the beginning of 2022, you started a resolution and said, I'd like to be more active in prayer. I'd like to keep a record of my prayers. And maybe you've been successful with that, and you can. I know people who keep a journal of their prayers. I know people who write their prayers to God. I think all of those are great ideas. Anything that makes it more consistent for you. And Jesus certainly encourages us to do that. So take heart. He's giving us some tools to keep us in the habit of prayer. Now, not only that, but he's going to keep us fired up about it. Here's why. Jesus said, <clears throat> In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, Give me justice in this case against my adversary. Now these are thin details. We don't get a lot on this. We've got this judge. We know two things about him. He doesn't fear God. That's already bad enough. And he doesn't respect people. You may be saying, how could somebody like that become a judge? It's a parable. (laughs) It's a parable. That's the point. We've got a corrupt individual. Okay? And, And by the way, this again, we have to resist that temptation to think, Well, Jesus would never tell a story about somebody who's not very good, would he? Well, yes, he would, because it's exactly how he makes the point. This is the world that they understand. This is the world that they live in. On the other side, we have the widow. We're not told anything about her case. I I, I mean, maybe her case isn't sound. Maybe it's not just. Again, it's a parable. There is some significance to the fact that she's a widow. She is dependent on the mercy of the leaders of the community because being a a widow in that world is one of the most helpless situations to be in. She has no children. She has no 
assumingly she has no children, she has no husband, she has no one to advocate for her. So she has to advocate for herself. She's got some case against an adversary. She believes that she's been done wrong. She needs justice. She wants things to be set right. And that's the very simple tension that our little parable plays into. I mean, if Jesus wanted to, he could have written two-hour movie scripts and gone into the background of all these characters, but it's making a point. We've got the judge who doesn't care about people and doesn't even care about God. We've got the widow who needs justice. Now, just on the surface of it, those two are not going to get along well, are they? No. Because he doesn't care about justice because he doesn't respect God, and he doesn't care about her. Keep reading. For a while, this judge refuses her. But he finally says to himself, I don't fear God or respect people. I love that line. At least he knows that. You know. I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. I mean, he's tired of saying no to her. And he's tired of hearing her. So he's going to rule in her favor just to shut her up. Oh. I mean, it is. It's, it's that scandalous. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to see and to hear. That this is a pretty sorry scenario. But watch. We're going from the lesser to the greater. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. I don't think he's saying learn a lesson from this guy. I'm, I think he's saying, did you hear what the man said? I, I think he's marveling at it. Now, he says, won't then, from the lesser to the greater, won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will, will he be slow to help them? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is, well, no. I tell you the truth. He will give them justice and quickly. Now, I've got to pause right there. The point's been made from the lesser to the greater. If the unjust judge will not respond to one who is clearly needing justice, but if he eventually does for all the wrong reasons, then how much more will God? respond to the ones that, you know, his chosen people, his people, and give them justice and quickly. Okay, we see Jesus' point. Oh, okay, well, if the right thing can happen over here, then it will, there's all the more probability that it will happen over here. But this parable comes with a little twist. The little twist at the end is, he says, but when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faithfulness on earth? This is his way of saying, the Son of Man, by the way, is a figure in Jewish expectation. Uh, it goes back to texts like Daniel. The Son of Man is the one who's going to come and judge all the earth. He's going to be the, the representative of God who will set things right and ensure justice. 
Jesus will adopt that title for himself because it means that all authority is being given to him. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one who has authority. Paul describes it in Philippians as um, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in, in doing that, there's going to be a judgment because no one can say, well, hey, we're not under his jurisdiction. No, you, you are. He's been given that authority. So here, in anticipation of that coming judgment and the one who delivers that judgment, Jesus leaves an open question. He says, but when the Son of Man gets here, is there going to be anybody looking for that justice that he's delivering? When the Son of Man gets here, are we going to find anybody faithful as that widow was to plead her case? That's the open question. And remember, this parable was given to us so that uh, we would so that we know the need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. That suggests to me that in prayer, we are participants in this program that God has, this mission that God has to deliver justice in this world. We often wonder, you know, how do we begin these efforts? Do we need to just go out and do stuff and pray along the way? Do we need to pray first and go do whatever we want? Are we doing, spending all of our time praying and, and not doing? I don't know that it has to be a decision either or, but certainly prayer should always be a part of what we do. Not simply to invoke a blessing for success but so that we get on the program and get on the agenda of heaven. Sometimes it's our projects that end up creating injustice or end up taking us astray of God's purposes. If you read Matthew 23 and Jesus delivers the woes to the Pharisees, now, it's instructive, first of all, that he is saying to them, woe, because that means... This is sad. I'm lamenting. Why, why would you lament the Pharisees? Aren't they the, you know, the villains with the stovepipe hats and the handlebar mustache? No. They're actually well-intentioned dragons. They're well-intentioned people who wanted to do what is right, but their project of trying to get everything down to exacting detail actually took them away from God's purposes. And that's what's so sad. You'll see this in the Old Testament quite often. Take, for example, the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent, okay, let's review the story very quickly. Uh, I, 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 think, I think most of us in this class are, you know, we're, we're pretty good students, we're pretty advanced, but the bronze serpent is when the uh, uh, Israelites were traveling through the desert and they were plagued by these poisonous, venomous snakes. And so Moses is instructed to create a bronze serpent. That bronze serpent then becomes a type of um, an item of healing that when they look to it, they will be saved from the poison, from the venom. Okay. 
that works, that's obedience, that's how you do it. But then generations later, that figure, that bronze serpent, is being worshipped as a false god. What was intended as something good then takes them astray from God's purposes, and it has to be destroyed. Um, the temple is another good example. Solomon dedicates the temple in Jerusalem. He says, this is the place where God will have his name honored here. He will put his name on this place. In other words, if you asked God, God, where will you be staying? Where, what's your address? God would say right there, number one, temple, holy of holies, Jerusalem. You can find me there. Oh, what a blessed day. God has graciously decided to dwell with his people in that temple. But then generations later, because the people become arrogant about owning the real estate on which the temple sits, Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 7 has to come by and say, now don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Because that's where they were putting their faith. Not in the God who graciously chose to dwell in the temple, but in the temple and the real estate surrounding it. Often, it is our own well-intentioned, maybe even we assume God-blessed projects that take us away from Him. So, we need to engage in prayer so that our projects do not distract us from God. Because then we can start praying for the project at the expense of the God that that project has anything to do with whatsoever. In fact, we need to be so free that we can trust in God's will that if God says, look, this, this, this project, this program, this effort, this ministry, it has served so well, but it's time for you to set it aside, move on, we're willing to do that. Because we know that our faith is not in all the projects or the people, but it's in the God who empowers all of that. I hope that makes sense. Um, you, I think we see that also in Luke when he sends out his 72 on mission. And he says, don't take, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorthand this, don't take a whole lot of stuff with you, he says. You've got a message, you need to preach it, and you need to trust that God will take care of you. And in fact, what they are doing is living out the Lord's prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Well, if you had a big enough you know, checking account, you, you could do that. No, no. He says, I don't want you taking you know, a, a money bag with you and all that. You're not going to worry about that. God's going to provide. And it's interesting that he doesn't want them distracted in this mission. This is why Jesus is encouraging us to pray. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? I can tell you, I thought I was so familiar with this parable, and then that line reached up and grabbed me by the chin. Because it's, you know, it's not enough to just understand this. You've got to be faithful in it. So, we have another one of these comparison parables. God versus the unjust judge. I looked for a picture of a bad judge. Some of you may know who that is. 
That's Judge Roy Bean, the law west of the Pecos. He doesn't look a lot like Paul Newman, uh, if you ever saw the movie. <laughs> I like Judge Roy Bean as the, as the unjust judge. I'm going to tell you a few Roy Bean facts. Um, you know, he, set up a, a, he set up his own court. He was a justice of the peace out in um, uh, you know, West Texas in a town called Langtree, Texas. And uh, rough area, desert. This is right around the 1890s. He set it up inside his saloon. That's where he would practice his law practice. Uh, the matter came to his court that the uh, corpse of a railroad worker had been found. And the man was carrying $40 and a pistol. So Bean fined him, fined him posthumously. After he's dead, Bean issued him a fine of $20 for carrying a gun. And then he charged him $10 coroner fee and a $10 court cost, $40. And he took the money. Uh, a traveler came to his saloon and gave him a $20 gold piece for, you know, for a beer, a nickel beer. Bean refused to give him change, and when the man started to protest, he said, that's it, you're standing in a Texas court, I'm going to charge you $19.95 for contempt of court, and if you say anything else, I'll double the fine. That's an unjust judge. Anyway, there's a lot of stories about him like that. <clears throat> but here's this unjust judge that Jesus describes, doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people, no interest in justice. And he will still do the right thing. He'll still deliver the right judgment just to silence her. That is far lesser. God is much greater than. You see the sign there. He's the good judge. And what we need to keep in mind about him is he does deliver justice for his people who cry out to him. He is not slow to help and his justice is swift and sure. Now that may... <clears throat> contradict what we experience sometimes. We may feel like, you know, I don't know about you, but this justice hasn't seemed to be all that quick, has it? Well, maybe this is where we need to definitely pray more often. Because maybe God has answered our appeals to justice. It's just that our projects... And our sense of self have given us a different idea of what justice would look like. And we keep waiting on that. And God is saying, are, are you, pay attention here. My justice looks different than what you're asking for. So here's the summary. Will the Son of Man find faithfulness? You know, is there going to be anyone who's concerned that there's injustice? Well, number one. We need to just get into the workshop and do the work. Keep on praying and don't be discouraged. That's what Jesus wants us to learn. <clears throat> Number two, God cares about justice, and he's not slow to deliver. It's, it's sort of heartbreaking in a way that um, churches and church leaders are sometimes perceived as having no concern for justice. Because this is one of the things that, that God certainly does seem to care about. Now, 
I'll grant you that there's a lot of causes that go under the label justice and they have nothing to do with justice whatsoever. And so there it's pretty easy to criticize you know, church people because you know, it's not that they don't care about justice, it's just that we don't think that your crisis constitutes a crisis. Okay, that's fair. But one of the things that I find very attractive about God is that he does care about what's right and wrong. I've always been fascinated by heroic stories. And before God got a hold of my life and took me in a certain direction, I was going to go, I mean, can you imagine, I was going to work in comic books. I mean, if I had done all that, and now the way these movies are today, I'd be just like all those other comic book artists and comic book writers who created all this material and are getting paid very little for any of it because <laughs> the corporation takes it all. Talk about justice. Um, but I like the idea of a power standing for what's right and wrong. Superman stands for truth, justice in the American way. It's a good idea. But when you look in Scripture, you see where that idea originates. That God cares about those who are oppressed. The story of His people, Israel, begins with them being in oppression and He delivers them. God always has a bit of a fuss with the empire. Going to your whole Star Wars stories, right? The empire, the evil empire. God is not fond of empires because empires tend to set themselves up as God. And they demand allegiance to them before God. And so you see God taking on Egypt. He'll use Babylon, then he resists Babylon. He'll use Assyria, then he'll resist it. But you have to understand how to fight the empire. You don't fight the empire on the empire's terms. That's what Jesus taught us. It's, it's illustrated so simply when Peter picks up the two knives and he says, here's swords. Put it down, Peter. It's not how we do it. Those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. That's the empire's way, Peter. But God cares about justice. And we have certainly seen a lot of injustice in the world recently. Almost so much that we can tend to forget it. It just becomes so ordinary that we don't even notice it. It's like, it's, it's like the, the, you know, our spectacles have been spotted with, with paint and dirt and dust and we don't even notice anymore. Our eyes have been clouded by cataracts. But God clarifies vision. And when you go into His Word and when we spend time in prayer with Him over justice, He shows us the fights that He's fighting. And what I find so attractive is God is asking us to stand with Him. Now, that's not a license to go off, you know, all guns a-blazing, acting as if I'm, you know, God's chosen agent on earth. It's not like that at all. It means being obedient. It means following Jesus. It means understanding that those who look like 
the losers and the oppressed in this world may actually be the champions of the kingdom. God will deliver his justice. Number three, when the heavenly judge appears, the Son of Man, and by the way, this is what we believe. The, the, the return of Jesus Christ is not a great gotcha moment. He's not lurking around upstairs somewhere, and then right when we're all misbehaving, he's going to pop in, shine the light, and say, ha-ha, gotcha. No, he's coming back to set things right, to conquer evil fully, and to save those who trust in him. Now, can you understand why there might be a delay? It's mercy. And this is what Peter discusses in his letters. It's a bit of mercy. So, what we need to be busy and active about is being patient, waiting, holding the line until he comes back. Just continuing that faithfulness where we don't get discouraged and we ask that justice will be done. I don't know about you, but that constitutes a huge change and shift in my prayers. I remember as a young person praying, God, I want you to come back soon, but hey, can you wait a little while? I got some things I need to do. You get older and you realize that prayer is not worth it. That prayer is not worth it. But then sometimes we still do that. God, I got a big event coming up. Hey, can you kind of help us with that? Oh, I can help you with it. But are you praying for justice? Are you praying for the things that really matter and count? See, too often, and I, this is what I love about that little line where he says, when the Son of Man comes back, is he going to find faithfulness? Because our prayers can get cheap. And when our prayers get cheap, we start managing the details in those prayers. All right? It's like here Jesus has handed us this magnificent, glorious way of praying with the creator and the sovereign of all the universe, the, the good father, the heavenly father, the good judge, the one who sets the standard for justice and righteousness. And then we take this glorious project, this project, open way of prayer and I don't know a better word we finagle with it you know we 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 tape it up we patch it up we 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 modify it we we turn it around and so we start managing all the details we say things like God I want this kind of government I want it to look like this and you do justice God I want this level of comfort and give me my daily bread. God, I want everybody who's corrupt or sinful, or the people who are talking bad about me, I want them to suffer a little bit of pain. And then give me the chance to go tell them I'm sorry and, and I forgive them, because that's important. Make them pay up or make them repent. And God, I need you always and forever in all these things that I'm supposed to do because you've told me to do the right thing, but I don't always know what it is, and God, that doesn't seem very fair, so I need you to write in the sky exactly what it is that you need me to do. Very, very plain, with instructions, and if I don't understand it or don't like it, then I'm going to go talk to my minister and get him to agree with me on what I ought to do instead, okay? 
I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But I think our prayers can get so reduced that we think it's all about the momentary crisis or the momentary way that we feel rather than understanding that, our, that God has invited us to lean our prayers and lean our life into the truly heroic and huge things that He's doing. Let me conclude it like this. Imagine for a moment, we'll use a parable, and we'll, we'll make a parable out of a parable. Imagine for a moment that you're in the court where the widow has come to plead her case to the unjust judge. You've been there many times before. You've seen this drama play out. And the widow has truly, truly been deprived of justice. I mean, she, she's, she's a victim. Genuine victim. And you know that this judge is going to turn her down once again. What are you going to do? Are you going to call out the judge? Maybe. I'll tell you this, the judge doesn't think much of you. He doesn't think much of anyone. And if you try to convince him that God holds him accountable, what do we know about this judge? I don't fear God. Fear God. Fear God. Are you going to assist the widow? Are you going to help her find justice? Maybe you're going to offer her whatever it is that she's lost. But do you, you see, you, you might already begin to feel a little bit of investment in a parable story. Do we understand then that God is calling us into action and He's saying, I, I want to I step in? I mean, because in that situation there with the judge and the widow, one of the things we read in Scripture is God's going to step into those kind of situations. When you read 1 Peter and you hear what God thinks of the oppressors, that's the thing you don't want to be on the day of judgment, is you don't want to be an oppressor who has taken advantage of people. God isn't excited about people who do that, okay? Let's put it like that. But instead of just not being an oppressor, we can align with God. And he's told us what to do. We don't need sky riding. But we need to keep praying and not be discouraged and ask for justice so that then when the Son of Man arrives, he'll find faithfulness and we'll just say, oh, it's good you're here. We've been acting in such a way as if you were here already. Thank you for guiding us. Now that could be an incredible agenda for prayer. And I want to encourage you to do that. I, I hope that you understand too that that's not just my encouragement, but that's the invitation and the encouragement of Jesus Christ who's teaching us prayer. Pray with me. Father, we're humbled before you. We want to participate in what you're doing in this world. Father, give us the courage to lay aside our own projects and our own selfish desires. Father, help us to lay aside the anxieties that often lead us astray. And Lord, 
give us your grace and mercy as we continue to stumble through prayer, but we do so with clean hearts. And we do so with trusting, faithful hearts. May we come to know you better as your will is done in our life, even as it's done in heaven. It's in the name of our teacher and our Lord that we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and attention. Uh, Join us at 1030 for worship.